The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces He was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is God's word. Keep those verses open as we uh, consider them together. But there is a sense in which today, what we're going to consider, Good Friday, what we're going to mark on it, is in a sense the worst possible advertisement for Jesus Christ and for his God. Because if a good advert is one that draws you in, that makes you look again, that makes you take it seriously. It seems that there's something at the very heart of Christianity that makes you want to look away. I mean, in a sense, uh, this morning, we're gathered here together to, uh, to consider something that we wouldn't recommend anyone consider in any other walk of life, which is the violent, unjust punishment of a good man. That is what we consider today. And, and though many of us here are Christians and we've, we have, as it were, seen past or seen through or seen into the wounds of Jesus Christ in a different way, we have to reckon on the facts where this song that we're going to consider begins, which is that it's a big obstacle for people believing in Jesus Christ, this death of his. It's a big obstacle for Muslim people. If you were to say to a Muslim person, why don't you believe in Jesus Christ? One of the chief reasons, the biggest reasons they would say, is that how can someone who's supposedly God's supreme servant, God's lofty, exalted servant, how can they be so despised? How can they be wounded and die on a cross? And so they deny it ever happened. To a Jewish person, they would say, well, well, how can someone who's the chosen Christ, God's supreme servant, ever die on a wooden tree? Because they've read the book of Deuteronomy, and Jewish people know that to die on a wooden tree is to be cursed. How can you say that God's Christ is cursed. And so people, the world feels able to curse this Jesus Christ precisely because of his wounds. And so it seems like there are these two contradictions, contradictory truths at the heart of Christianity. And that's where this song begins, this song in the book of Isaiah that uh, was just read for us. It begins in chapter 52, verse 13, on page 740, if you've closed your Bibles. And it begins, if you like, with these two different tunes. We have a lofty servant. It begins brightly, verse 13, do you see? See, look, says God, at my servant, he shall act wisely or prosper. He's going to do something that's going to lead to his meteoric rise. His career is going to be, it's going to be up and up. Do you see that, verse 13? He'll be raised, lifted up, highly exalted. He'll have a position 
above any other person. But then it changes its tune, its melody already. Verse 14, do you see that the one with the high position above all others, verse 14, is shockingly disfigured more than all others. People look at him, but they're not attracted. They're appalled, startled, and astonished. He doesn't have a high position above any man, but a horribly marred one more than any other man. But yet, you have to change the tune again in this song. Because in verse 15, we see that actually, he's got a high vocation. He's got a great job. He will sprinkle many nations. The images of a priest. This servant is God's priest who's responsible for for making people clean. That's what he's doing, sprinkling, sprinkling the blood of a sacrifice on people to make them clean. He's cleansing people internationally from every nation. He's God's special priest. And kings will shut their mouths at him. And the only thing that makes kings shut their mouths is when they're in the presence of a higher king, one whose power it is not safe or wise to resist. So we want to ask, who who is this servant? What have these kings seen about him? And as we go through this song, I I want us to see that, that the very thing that makes him despised and cursed, his death, his wounds, that very thing explains why he is God's exalted servant. That's where we're heading in this song. Now, just a word on this song. It's, um, it's a mysterious song in some ways. It's the fourth of its kind in the book of Isaiah, the massive Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah. And there's a, an enigmatic figure, the servant, who is the subject of these songs. And in a sense, it, it's the key to the whole book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is, if you like, how can a faithless people become a faithful people? How does God make a faithless city into a city that's righteous, pleasing to him? How does God make people who are sick from head to toe with sin into people who are in right relationship with him, who are declared righteous? And this servant, this mysterious servant, answers the question, and we'll see particularly in this song that it's an answer to that question. But it is uh, in the time of Isaiah. It's written when Israel is under threat from Babylon, and then they eventually do go into exile. It's written 700 years before Jesus Christ. And yet, in every verse, it speaks prophetically of Jesus of Nazareth. The New Testament again and again says that this servant is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. So let's come in verse 1. The question is asked, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We want to know what these kings have seen that's made them shut their mouths. But verse 1 says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. You would not believe it if I told you. Oh, it is actually the best advertisement for God. It, it, It reveals his strong arm, his arm that's powerful to save. You see in verse 1, the arm of the Lord. That is, if you like, the Old Testament's picture for The best advertisement for God, which is that he's a God who, when he rolls up a sleeve, you see that his arm is strong to save people. It was last seen at the Exodus when he parted the Red Sea powerfully. He saved his people through the Red Sea and then covered up the waters to defeat the Egyptians. And the same thing, the same kind of saving power is on display again, but you wouldn't recognize it. Or you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? Well, you wouldn't believe it because verse 2, it is found. The arm of the Lord is seen 
his saving power is seen in the tender, obscure growing up of a youth. This servant, he grew up before him, before the Lord, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This servant speaking prophetically of Jesus of Nazareth in his tender youth. There's nothing remarkable about him. He was a carpenter in Nazareth. He was Joseph's son. There's, there's no real record in the Gospels, any of the four Gospels, of his years between 12 and age 30. They were the years of obscurity. Nothing to report, as it were. I mean, our newspapers are full of little royal Prince George in Australia. We chronicle his every movement. But Jesus, God's chosen servant, he grew up in obscurity and lowliness. It doesn't seem fitting, does it? And not only was there nothing to attract us to him, verse 2, but there was much that was offensive in him, verse 3, when he went public. In his public ministry, he was despised and rejected by his own townsfolk, so uh, Jesus of Nazareth. When he went back to Nazareth, his own, his own townsfolk rejected him. They said, isn't, isn't this just Joseph's son? Nobody special. And they ended up driving him out of town, taking him to the brow of a hill in an attempt to kill him. Luke 4, 29. His own family, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, they came to take charge of him. And when asked why, they said, he's out of his mind. He's lost his mind. And Judas Iscariot, one of his own disciples, one of the twelve, in the end agreed to hand him over for money. And the chief priests, they were delighted. Mark chapter 14, verse 11. And then, of course, one of his dearest disciples, Peter, ended up saying, I don't know him. He disowned him. So what is better or what is worse? I don't know. Private obscurity or public rejection? But but the worst point came, the point came when, when everyone felt free to write him off, when he was wounded and beaten, and when he was legally and formally shown to be, as it were, cursed as he hung on that tree. And so it's a miracle that anyone believes this message God's supreme servant looks like he's hidden, obscured by his wounds, because it's his wounds that get him cursed, that cause people to reject him. So in a sense now for our first meditation, we'll take a couple of moments of quiet. But it's a strange meditation because we're not meditating as we usually do on a truth, but on a tension, which is that God's supreme servant, his chosen servant, well, he had griefs and sorrows, sufferings and pains like no other. We'll sing in a moment, in verse 5 of our song, that never was grief like thine. No one had griefs and sorrows like this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're going to take a moment now to meditate and consider that he had griefs and sorrows more than any other person.
We're going to keep reading in Isaiah 53. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Okay, this is the, uh, this is the center point of, uh, of the song. It's the very middle of the song. It is, in terms of center of gravity, the very center of this big book of Isaiah. It's the key to the message. And it is, if you like, at the very center of the Bible as well. And it's all about Jesus' wounds. And I want to say, don't look away from his wounds. This is why we don't look away. Look again at them and see something more. Every Christian person has seen something more when they look at the wounds of Jesus Christ than simply something to despise. Everyone who's ever understood Jesus Christ, and if you haven't understood him until this day, will understand him today. See what is going on when you look at his wounds. Because if you look again, says verse 4, you see that it's not his sufferings at all. They're not his pains. They're ours. They're ours. Do you see that in verse 4? He took up our infirmities. If you look hard enough at the cross, it's like looking in a mirror because you see not his burdens. You see that the burdens he's carrying are actually ours. Those griefs and sorrows, those sufferings, those pains, they're ours. In a sense, that little word, are or we, it's, it's the new word in verses 4 to 9. Do you see? Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God. But, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. It is us, 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 and we who have put, if you like, the griefs upon Jesus' shoulders. And then do you see that everywhere else in verses 4 to 9, it's he, he took up our infirmities. He was pierced, he was crushed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, he was cut off from the land of the living. But it was for the transgression of my people that he was stricken. So if you want a word to sum up what happens at the cross, it is substitution. It is him, he, for us. Because he carried our sins on the cross. It is Jesus Christ for us, instead of us, in our place. It is a substitution. 
And the point is that these words, iniquities, transgressions, sins, bruises, wounds, these are things that properly belong to people like you and me. People who, if you like, have provoked a legal curse from God because we've rejected the God who made us, we've broken his commands, and we deserve a just and legal penalty from God. We deserve to be cursed. We deserve to be pierced and crushed for what we've done. The last time this little collection of words, bruises and iniquities and sins, has come together, it was in chapter 1 at the very beginning of the book of Isaiah, and it was describing God's people. And now we see them on the shoulders of this servant. Jesus of Nazareth stood in place of sinners like you and me, bearing our punishment. Every wound and blow, every agony and cry, every bruise was not his due, but it was ours. So that's why we look again at the wounds. That's what made the kings shut their mouths. That's what made people astonished ultimately at the cross. Because here is a man not to be despised for his wounds, to be cursed and written off because he died. But he's a man prepared to be despised for our sins, prepared to be cursed for our sins. So don't let go of his wounds. Because do you see in verse 5 what they buy, what they purchase? They bring us peace. Punishment was upon him, but it brings us peace, peace with God. Healing of people who are sick with sin, it brings to us. So don't look away. Don't let go of his wounds. They bring us peace with God. That's the swap. He gets our iniquities and sins, and we receive peace with God as a result. It's the kind of peace that you can only give and offer people on the other side of justice when God's justice has been completely absorbed and satisfied. So our sins account for the ugliness of the cross. It's explained by a whole group of people pictured in verse 6 like sheep wandering away, going their own way, against God's way. That's what accounts for the ugliness of the cross. That's what accounts for verse 6, the Lord laying on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And verse 6, this, uh, these sheep going astray explain the sheep, the young sheep that goes to the slaughter in verse 7. It is because the sheep have gone astray there that there is a young sheep going to the slaughter in verse 7. So don't misunderstand his death, verse 8. Don't, don't look at the death of Jesus and think he died the death of criminals. He was crucified between two other criminals. Don't think that this is just one other unfortunate man dying young. Because verse 9, even though he was assigned a grave with the wicked, if you like, he, he had a burial of a wicked man with a rich man in his death. Don't dismiss it. Because verse 8 and 9, he was innocent. He had done no violence. Violent deaths are usually for people who've done violence in their life. But he'd done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 9. Because this was an innocent one, dying for guilty ones. So as we come to meditate now, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, only those who see that this servant, Jesus of Nazareth, died the death that we deserved. Him for us. This is what makes the people in this song change their mind about this servant. They change their mind between verses 3 and 4. 
and we're going to change our meditation about the servant, we're going to consider three things in the quietness for a few moments. We're going to consider, first of all, our guilt, the sufferings, the pains, the iniquities, the punishment, the wounding, the wandering astray, all the things that ended up making him despised belong properly to us. Consider our guilt. And then his innocence. In all the trials of Jesus of Nazareth, through all the Gospels, he was exonerated. He was handed over to be killed. But everybody said, he has done no wrong. Pilate said, John 19, I find no basis for a charge against him. This was an innocent man, dying the death of a criminal. He was cursed, though he himself had done no wrong. So his innocence... And then finally, the punishment. There's a whole range of punishment words here used. The whole vocabulary of punishment. He took up pain. He bore sufferings. He was pierced, crushed, punished, wounded, oppressed, afflicted, slaughtered, taken away to die. He was cut off. And so now we're to consider our guilt and his innocence and the punishment that he bore in our place. If you take up your service sheets, we're going to join together in the words printed there. If we join together in the words printed in bold, I will say the other words. 
And in a sense, whether it's we've done this many times um, or whether it's for the first time, what we're doing here is acknowledging the things that we've heard about and sung about already, the stark reality of our sin and the wonderful measure of God's love for us in Christ Jesus, that he would die in place of us. So let's say together the words in bold. As we kneel at your cross, help us to see the stark reality of our sin and the wonderful measure of your love for us in Christ Jesus. He was cut off from God that I might be welcomed and adopted. He was punished that I might be blessed. He was made sin and curse that in him I might be declared righteous. He was put to death that I might enjoy eternal life. He entered darkness that I might have eternal light. He groaned in anguish that I might have endless song. He wore a crown of thorns that I might wear a crown of glory. He endured hell that I might enjoy heaven. Infinite is the evil of our sin. Greater still is the worth of Christ's precious blood, which has bought our ransom and washed away our guilt. Amen. The next reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12, which can be found on page 740 of your Bibles. Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is God's word. Well, more briefly, in our final meditation, we come to the end of this song, and it's, if you like, the point of resolution, those two competing tunes in this song at the very beginning. God's lofty supreme servant is despised for his wounds. How how can both be true? And we see that they're harmonized, they're brought together with one word in verse 12. One word at the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, therefore. It is because Jesus suffered for others, therefore God makes him supreme above all others. It's because he died this kind of death. Precisely because he did that, that he's qualified by God to be the supreme servant, the one who has a name above every name. That's the logic of uh, verses 10 to 12. So don't remove his wounds. Don't look away from his wounds. Don't deprive him, as it were, of his wounds, because that deprives him of his reward. Do you see in verse 10? It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, Look what comes through that guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. His offspring, the people that he dies to save, to be part of his people. 
after the suffering of his soul, verse 11. Don't deprive him of that, because after it he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Speaking in advance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By his knowledge, verse 11, the second half, that is his, his knowing, intentional sacrifice, my righteous servant will justify many. This is why it's a sacrifice worthy of great exaltation, worthy of great reward by God, and worthy of great praise from us. Because at the end of verse 11, do you see what it achieves? It does the unthinkable. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Nothing could be a better, more glorious advertisement for God, for it shows his character, that he is both on the one hand just and fair and punishes sin. And he has found a way to justify sinners, to make us right in God's eyes. And the answer is it is through the death of Jesus Christ. So it shows exactly what God's character is like. There can be no more debate about what kind of God the God of the Bible is. He is a God who is both just and who is able to justify sinners. He is able to make us right with him, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. And so it is because Jesus died this death for others that he is made supreme. This servant is supreme because of his wounds. And that's what we're going to uh, to meditate on now. Um, for a couple of moments. Before we do that, we might uh, have a question that I, I guess might arise for us as we go through this song, which is that the Lord it caused him to suffer. It was the Lord's will to crush him. And so we might think, well, well isn't Jesus this innocent third party that, that God causes to suffer unjustly? That, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. But actually, that would be to divide people who are together. They're united in everything they do. Do you see the servant does only the Lord's will? And this is the Lord's will. And that was true not just in this song, but it was true in space and time when Jesus of Nazareth came. He always did God's will. It's true that he was the son who was perfectly obedient to his father. They were one in all that they did. And that was true in time, and it was true ultimately because this son was the eternal son, at one with the father from eternity. So we can find nothing between this servant and this God, nothing between this son and this father. They are perfectly united in their mission to save people like you and me. And as we meditate, let's meditate on two things. First of all, the wounds that make us righteous. At the beginning of the song, they made people look away. But we now know that they are wounds that make us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that people like you and me can be in the right with God. But they are wounds that make us righteous. They are wounds that make him supreme. So praise him as God exalted him, that he has found a way to show God as both just and as the one who justifies sinners. Let's meditate on these wounds because we look at them. As we look at them, we look at the very thing that makes him exalted.